there. You're listening to the Cary Church Podcast. We at Cary seek to be flourishing communities of hope, transformed by God's love, following Jesus and serving in God's world. To find out more on how to connect with us, go to cary.asn.au. The um, Bible reading this morning is taken from the last chapter, chapter 31. When we read the epilogue of the wife of noble character... If we were reading it in Hebrew, you would notice that the verses begin with successive letters of the Hebrew alphabet, but I'm afraid that's invisible to people who only read English. Anyway, it's a beautiful um, chapter. So beginning with verse 1. The sayings of King Lemuel, an inspired utterance his mother taught him. Listen, my son. Listen, my son of my womb. Listen, my son, the answer to my prayers. Do not spend your strength or wealth on women, your vigour on those who ruin kings. It is for kings to drink wine, not for rulers to crave beer, lest they drink and forget what has been decreed and deprive all the oppressed of their rights. Let beer be for those who are perishing, wine for those who are in anguish. Let them drink and forget their poverty and remember their misery no more. Speak up who cannot speak for themselves, for the rights of all who are destitute. Speak up and judge fairly. Defend the rights of the poor and needy. And the epilogue of the wife of noble character. A wife of noble character, who can find? She is worth far more than rubies. Her husband has full confidence in her and lacks nothing of value. She brings him good, not harm, all the days of her life. She selects wool and flax and works with eager hands. She is like the merchant ships bringing her food from afar. She gets up while it is still night. She provides food for her family and portions for her female servants. She considers a field and buys it. Out of her earnings, she plants a vineyard. She sets about her work vigorously. Her arms are strong for her tasks. She sees that her trading is profitable and her lamp does not go out at night. In her hand, she holds the distaff and grasps the spindle with her fingers. She opens her arms to the poor and extends her hands to the needy. When it snows, she has no fear for her household, for all of them are clothed in scarlet. She makes coverings for her bed. She is clothed in fine linen and purple. Her husband is respected at the city gate where he takes his seat among the elders of the land. She makes linen garments and sells them and supplies the merchants with sashes. She is clothed with strength and dignity. She can laugh at the days to come. She speaks with wisdom and faithful instruction is on her tongue. She watches over the affairs of her household and does not eat the bread of idleness. Her children arise and call her blessed, her husband also, 
and he praises her. Many women do noble things, but you surpass them. Charm is deceptive, and beauty is fleeting. But a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. Honour her for all that her hands have done, and let her works bring her praise at the city gate. Thank you so much. Good morning, church. I've got to say, you are looking wonderful. I haven't been haven't been here um, since you've been in the new building. So, um, I mean, I've been in the building, but I haven't been in church. So it's really lovely to be with you. My name's Yvette. Um, I uh, am a pastor with Baptist Churches. I worship at the um, Harrisdale campus of Kerry, but I'm employed by Baptist Churches to um, encourage and equip, um, resource women in leadership and ministry positions in Baptist churches across our state. It's quite a privilege to do the role. Um, before I get on to what I wanted to say, I just wanted to say one, one thing. Um, I, my dad's not a preacher, but I feel like I was just praying and I felt like I would want me to say this. I just want to extend to you um, a thank you um, from my dad uh, because this last six months... Um, the, the Forestdale community really warmly um, accepted my sister and her, her children into the school here while they were home on home assignment from Mozambique and they just loved it here. They weren't really that keen on coming back to Australia and they didn't want to start school but on the last, um, they, because they loved school so much and you provided for them a really um, beautiful and safe community and also I think my dad would want to say ditto of my other sister whose children come to school here. Um, so I, I just... I know that the school and the and the church community are sometimes separate, but what you do here, like births, what they can do there, and your prayer and your covering over them. So I just want to thank you for the environment, and I want to um, to offer my thanks on behalf of my dad, who I'm sure would would, would have wanted me to say that. So New Year, everyone, um, how are we all feeling about the New Year, 2020? Um, do any of you are any of you familiar with that concept of um, having a word for the year? Some people, what they like to do is they pray on it and they wait for a word that they feel God's given them for the, for the year. And that word is a word by which they want to set their intentions. So it's, it's usually um, something that kind of can guide their decision making. Does anyone know that? Like, is anyone familiar with that? Does anyone have a word? Like, you, you're familiar with it but you don't have one? Okay, yeah, I, some, um, over at Harrisdale just before, they threw out some words to me. Um, one of my closest friends is a really go-getter kind of lady, and she um, likes to do this word thing, and she has a lot of goals. And um, so her goals for the year were um, restore, renew, and reset. And back in October, because she's really kind of motivated, she was in- in- encouraging me to think about what might my word be for 2020. But back when she was asking me about it, I was really tired. I just was about to finish up study for the year at Vaux Seminary. Um, my girls, I have four, four daughters, and they were really tired. School had been a hard slog. Um, work, work had been good but tough. And um, I said to her, you know what, Suze? I just want to be bored. My words just going to be bored. I just want to be so bored in 2020 that I can regularly say, I'm bored. I've got nothing to do and I'm bored. And I just want to, like, sit in that state of... And um, so I thought, well, I am actually quite a goal-oriented person. So I probably should have some att- attached some goals to my new word of bored. So I decided I'll just have one goal for 2020, and that would be to get the linen cupboard clean. 
Um, and at that stage, um, the linen cupboard, if you wanted to put something in it, you just open the door, quickly push it in and then shut the door so that things didn't fall out. It was terrible. Um, and so we both finished. And I had about four or five days just sitting around. Um, and I thought, well, oh, I'm starting to feel bored. So I opened the linen cupboard and I thought, I'll just make a little start on it because I'd given myself at least three months psych up to do the cupboard. Um, so I pulled out of town, I strained it, and before I knew it, it was done. I was off at Kmart by baskets and I arranged them all neatly in the cupboard and I stood back and oh, I thought, gosh, I might need to actually set the bar a little higher if I've already achieved my only goal for 2020 to get the linen cupboard clean. So I decided that my new word for 2020 was actually more of a phrase and the phrase was going to be, you go girl. And you go girl is probably best said in a really terrible screechy American accent, like you go girl, like that. Or um, it was said to me by my six-year-old, we were camping and we'd gone down to the, we parked our full drive, full drive into the beach, parked it on the top of a really high sand dune on a really hot day, really scorching hot sand dune. And uh, she, we got to the bottom and then she said, oh, can you go back to the car and get my snorkeling stuff? And I think she expected me to go, no. But I went, oh, okay. And so she screams at me, you go, girl. And I thought, yeah, that's going to be my word for the year. And you know what? I think you go, girl could actually be the title of this poem that we're looking at today. And I'll explain that a little bit later why I think that's a good, good name for the poem. So we heard the poem read earlier, and I think some people go, ugh, not this passage, and roll their eyes a little bit at the Proverbs 31 woman. And I noticed, because I was watching them in the last service, a few husbands kind of elbow their wives, and a few wives kind of roll their eyes. And I think that some people don't actually like Proverbs 31 very much. Is there anyone that's in the room that kind of hates the Proverbs 31 woman? Like, stupid Proverbs 31 woman with their impossibly high standards. Yeah, is she even just there to make us feel bad? Sometimes I kind of think that. But no, actually not. She's not there. There's a lot that we can learn. So let's into the proverb passage. Before I was a pastor, I was an English teacher and I loved, loved my job. And when I came to this text, I was like, hee hee, I can pretend you're my English classroom. So I'm going to give you a few English classroom kind of things this morning. You ready for them? So your English teacher, your good English teacher would have told you when you were reading any text that context is everything. That when you're looking at a text, you need to know all about around the text, it was written, who it was written by, what was, else was happening when it was written. So let's look at the context of this poem um, in, in the bigger context of the whole of Scripture. So my colleague, um, Pastor um, Melinda Cousins, she's a pastor in South Australia, she says, I think she puts it beautifully, when she sums up the purpose of Scripture, she says, Scripture is this grand storyline of a God who created us male and female and invites us all to participate in his work, rest and play. A God who uniquely called us and gifted each of us to be members of a wider community who together play our parts in its mission. So that's the point of Scripture. Um, and she says in Proverbs 31, we get a picture of one woman who's playing her part. Now, we can't determine an exact date for Proverbs 31 or even who it was written by. But we do see it, that it's linked with the sayings of King Lemuel. So who is King Lemuel? We don't really know. We know that he is um, an Arabian king. He's not a Jew. Um, and that he's probably leading his kingdom in the ancient Near East in the time just after the Israelites have returned from exile in Babylon. So it's not a poem of Jewish origin, 
um, and it's not of the Israelite people, but I think it's a borrowed poem because it fits really well with the rest of what Proverbs is saying. It fits beautifully with the themes and it fits really well with um, the metaphor that runs um, throughout the whole of Proverbs where, oh, it's really personification. So where uh, Wizzy, all throughout Proverbs, is personified as a woman. So we have this really wise woman through all of Proverbs and we, we have this um, kind of unwise, foolish woman as well. So I think they've adopted it because it fits beautifully. Um, the middle section of Proverbs contains lots of individual sayings um, that apply with traditions. So that's also what Proverbs is about. And they're both personal things and public things. And then the book ends with Proverbs 31. So it's the last thing that we read in the book of Proverbs. And again, it gives us an example of what it looks like to live out your faith in the everyday mundane parts of life. So I think it fits really well. And it's also embodied in a woman. So as Cousins says, whatever else the poem is about, it's about the praying out of knowledge of God in a real time and a real place. So some more English teacher facts about Proverbs 31 for you. Firstly, it's an acrostic poem. So an acrostic poem is when you have uh, like the lines going down and every line begins intentionally, like with an intentional first letter. Um, so here's one I prepared for you earlier. I can't put it on screen, sorry. But here it is. You'll have to listen out for it. Young and beautiful. Very kind, excellent at all she does, terrific mother to her children, truly humble in every way, exceptionally good at poetry. And that spells out my name, Yvette. Do you get the idea of an acrostic? Okay, so why an acrostic for Proverbs 31? Well, firstly, it makes it easier to remember to say it back. And then I think, secondly, it's, um, I think as, um, as you alluded to, it's um, so each letter is starting with a different, with the like different letter of the Hebrew alphabet. So the first line um, starts with a lef, and then the second line starts with bet, and it all goes all the way through to the last line, which starts with tav, which is the last letter of the Hebrew alphabet. So it's basically an A to Z of all the ways that the woman is wonderful, and then that brings us to the purpose of the poem. So it wasn't written as a guide for women to live by. It's not a prescription of all the ways to be a good wife in the ancient Near East. The book of Proverbs as a whole was written actually to upper class young men and it's a guide for them for life. And above the poem, um, in the verses 1 to 10, it's um, advice from a, a mother to his son. So before we launch into the poem, there's a little thing there that says, like, basically, this is what my mum always says to me. So my mum always tells me to stay away from wine and from loose women, to use his power to take care of the poor. So this is, um, this is a good mum telling her son what kind of king to be. Use your power for good. Um, use your power to care for people. And then, it, and then it goes on in such a way that it gives us the idea that this is also her advice to him for the kind of wife that he should be looking for. So we can see that the description of the fictional woman takes into account the honourable things she does across her lifetime. And I guess it's like, really, because if you go to a funeral of someone who's lived a long time and you sit and you listen to people speak about their life, they tell you the things that they accomplished across their lifetime, right? And you think often, I think it's beautiful to, to hear of a life well lived. And I, this is an example of that. So it's, it's not what she's getting up and doing every single day. It's things that she's achieved across her life. 
and prophet Rachel Held Evans explains that Proverbs 31 is used by men in the Jewish culture to celebrate the women in their lives. It's spoken as a love poem by men to their wives and often on the Sabbath to praise and honour them and it's often sung. I stated earlier that some women find the poem a little annoying and actually it's been used in the past by some women's ministry to set an impossible standard for women um, and that has led to feelings of guilt and inadequacy but that's a really poor way to use scripture. According to Paul, all scripture is God-breathed and it's useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting tra and training in righteousness. So what can we do with Proverbs 31 then? And how can we keep using it as a guide for righteous living? I think there's several ways. So firstly, we can look at the way the woman is honoured and celebrated for her virtues. And we can see that they're virtues that both men and women and are encouraged to live by. The purpose of the poem, other than to encourage men to seek a noble wife, is to draw attention to the often overlooked glory of everyday living. The Jewish husband sings the proverb to his wife, not as a massive guilt trip, as a reminder of all the things she could be doing better, but as an exercise in gratitude and praise for all the creative and energetic ways she provides for her family and engages positively with her community. The poem at its core is a blessing and one that was never meant to be earned but given unconditionally. The poem starts with a statement of praise, Eshet Hayil. And you might see in your Bible that that's been translated as wife of noble character or woman of virtue, but a better translation would be woman of strength or even better, woman of valour. And my good friend Bronwyn Speedy explains it this way, Eshet is a form of the Hebrew Isha, meaning wife or woman. So in this life, it speaks of women in general. So this um, word is used in the book of Ruth, when Ruth is a widow before she's married. So she's just spoken of, uh, in, that, in that way it's applied to a widow. And then in um, Jewish, um, in, the, in the Jewish world, even today, that woman is commonly, ref that word is commonly referred to as any woman. So Isha is any woman, it's not just a, a word for wife. Um, and she also points out, Bronwyn points out, that Hail is a particularly interesting word. So if you look it up in a concordance, you'll find there's many instances of the word to compare it um, and different ways that it's used. So definitions include army, strongest defender, fighting men, brave warriors, very capable men, valiant soldiers, strong, able-bodied, power, victory, worth, champions, mighty men and military leaders. So a woman military leader. Um, and while it's interesting that in the, the original Hebrew of the poem, many of the words have a militaristic kind of feel to them. So you combine all of that stuff and you think, maybe this is actually talking about a warrior woman. Let me give you some examples. It says she provides food for her family, but that's literally uh, she provides prey for her family. She watches over the affairs of her family as she spies. And where, she, where it says she can laugh at the days to come, that translates literally to she laughs in victory. So the poem really, when we look at its original translation, is a very strange kind of woman. Rachel Held Evans wrote a book called A Year of Biblical Womanhood, which she looks at scriptures that gave instructions to women, and she tried to follow them literally for a whole year. So with humour and insight, she writes about covering her head, 
obeying her husband, growing out her hair, making her own clothes, um, rising before dawn, remaining silent in church, and even camping out in the front yard period. And the purpose of the book is to demonstrate that not every command or instruction is timeless and that scriptures should be read in context and not always completely literally. In her chapter on Proverbs 31, she explains to her husband the meaning of a shet hail. It means woman of valour, she says to her husband Dan, to which he replies, well, that's what you are to me. You are a woman of valour. Evan writes that in the months to come, Dan found ways to invoke the new blessing in the midst of our daily routines. When my blog sold enough ads to become profitable, he looked up from the computer, smiled and declared, woman of valour. When I finally got around to cleaning out the guest room closet, he high-fived me and shouted, woman of valour. When I stumbled through the front door after a long day with nothing but takeout pizza to show for dinner, he stretched out his arms in absolute delight and cried, pizza, woman of valour. It's amazing, Held Evans said, what a little poetry can do for a marriage. So why is the Proverbs poem still worth examining today? If it doesn't provide us with a model for Christian women to follow, then how does it inspire and challenge us? Well, I believe that it serves as an excellent reminder of the worth and the dignity of women who are made in the image of God and invited as full participants and co-creators in the world that God is making and in his restoration project and plan. I think that both men and women have a unique role to play um, in this plan. And it's a reminder and an invitation to do it with strength and courage. But women in 2020 face many challenges. Um, and they're both personal ones and social ones. And, that, and it can make it hard to participate in the flourishing of community. Proverbs 31 presents us with a woman who uses her own gifts in the home and in the marketplace. And she's respected for her own efforts when they talk about her um, at the gates of the city. It's for what she's done of in her own right. It presents us with a version of wisdom that shows us that hard work, effort, intelligence and strength are respectable characters, characteristics. But sadly, in some parts of the world and in some parts of the church, women are not given the freedom to flourish and contribute in the same way that the Proverbs 31 woman has. I've referred to my colleague, um, Melinda Cousins, a few times. I'm going to keep going on with that because um, she handles scripture like an absolute boss. Um, she says, women make up the majority of the world's poor. Women are exceedingly and disproportionately more likely to be bought and sold as slaves and to be refused education. Systematic rape is still being used as a weapon of war. 30% of women worldwide have experienced sexual or physical violence from an intimate partner. In Australia, at least one woman a week is killed by her current or former partner. This time last year, I had the um, amazing privilege um, to go along with Lara as well from this church. Um, to, with Baptist World Aid to Nepal to see some of the work that they were doing in communities there. And we visited two communities that were very different. One, because um, help um, for the community um, had, was only just beginning. And in the other, it had been going on for nine years. So for nine years, they'd been um, working with local partners to help. So one of the communities we went to was at the beginning of a, of a project of helping to really empower uh, the women and the children of the town. 
And so we went to that community and they invited any women and girls who wanted to come out and speak to us. And we spoke to only three girls were um, able to come. But we sat around with them and we asked them questions. And I asked, um, they were probably about 15, I said, what do you do for fun? The girls looked down and said, we're not allowed to have fun. And then I felt bad. Um, and then we asked, um, would you like to go to school? Um, and she said, I'd love to go to school. And then she got quite teary. Um, and the sad thing in that community is that it's, it's really risky to send their girls to school because they get trafficked walking on the way. And the other hard thing is that when they educate their daughters, um, the dowry price of daughters goes up. So then when their daughters, it comes time to, for them to be married, they have to pay a dowry to the husband's family. And for an educated daughter, um, the price is much higher. So um, some of the women we spoke to um, spoke of having to sell portions of land and, and the family often wanted a motorbike, which is an, like a very um, kind of... It's out of the normal for what they... So to a daughter um, is to cripple you, really. And to, to put her in the field to work is safer, economically um, better off. So very, very sad. And the women that we met with, um, we came out to meet with a small group of women. Uh, there was maybe 30 of them. None of them had been to school. And they were very downcast. They didn't really look at us in the eye. They were very... Um, uh, without hope for any change in their... Visit um, another community who had been for the last nine years working with Christian organisations, local um, Nepali people, who were helping them to set up um, self-help uh, loans and teaching them business practices and leadership skills. And this group, that one group that we met in the Hills area, they came together monthly and as their projects got off the ground, they, they did things like they bought um, one goat and they raised that and then they, they developed that into a business and they sold that and they bought a, a small chicken farm. And they kept growing and growing and they were becoming more and more empowered in, in leadership. And these women um, were incredible. They laughed a lot. They shone with confidence. Um, they empowered each other. They, when they met monthly, they, just, they had goals for their community. They wanted um, nutrition to improve in their community. They wanted all in school. Um, they had amazing goals. They decided that they needed to build a road into their town because they were only just um, carrying things down path, paths to, to the marketplace to sell. So they got together one month and they said um, they decided how much that they could all contribute to building this road. Um, the next month, everyone brought their money and the next month, the road was done. I was just like gobsmacked with how 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 confident they were and how amazing goals and then they just smashed them. And I, we were sitting on this rickety little bench. I wanted to stand up on the bench and go, you go, girl, woman of valour. And I feel like they were an like an amazing example of what happens when women are empowered and when, when women are invited to use their gifts and play their fullest part. And when women are celebrated, supported and encouraged to use their gifts, whole communities flourish. I think another a way that the passage has been misused sometimes is that it's been used to reinforce that false narrative that women are not complete or whole if they don't have children or if they're unmarried or if they're widowed or divorced. And I think that's just awful. And it's not Jesus' way. To use Proverbs 31 to make anyone feel inferior or less than is to misuse scripture in harmful and oppressive ways. And I've stated quite a few times now that Proverbs 31 speaks to all women about faithful, about faithful living. The woman in Proverbs 31 doesn't offer a prescription for what women should do with their lives. That's not how the Bible works. 
but she is an encouragement to every woman and every man to wise and faithful living in whatever circumstances we find ourselves. And she's a reminder to words of honour over the women of strength. Chet Hayil, spoken with joy and enthusiasm, is a shout, you go girl. Just as I was heading off to bed after finishing this message, I got such a I got it such a you go girl message. Tara Conrad and Tara is um, a pastor at Sanctuary Church, it's an ACC um, church in the northern suburbs, and she just knew I was preparing, so she sent me through a word of encouragement, and we chatted a bit about what we were both preaching on the next day, and um, then she said to me, "Oh, I just love the prophetic nature of Proverbs 31." And I'm like, what? She said, doesn't it just speak so beautifully of a vision for the church? And then I thought, oh, I'm never going to sleep now thinking about that. So I just had to add it um, because I think what the point she made was really exciting and, um, and really insightful. And so what she said to me was that in Proverbs 31, the, f- the reason I included the first 10 verses, um, the instructions from the King Lemuel to, sorry, King Lemuel's mum to him um, was because that's part of what she was saying was the prophetic nature of it. That here we've got um, a mum telling a good and wise king to use his power to take care of the poor to st- um, and to stand up for the rights of the needy and the oppressed. And um, I think that the king represents, perhaps prophetically, King Jesus. He's taken his and used his power to stand up for the rights of the poor and the needy and the oppressed. And then after that, it goes on to give us an example of, um, of a good wife. And so if, if the king is Jesus, then who is Jesus's bride? The church, yeah. So maybe this is actually a prophetic word, an instruction for us, the church. It's not just advice for men or, or women. Maybe it's for us as a church. And so if we look at at what the the mum is instructing the king to look for in a wife. It's a woman who provides for her servants, who opens her hands to the poor, um, her arms to the poor and extends her hands to the needy. And perhaps that's a calling for us. And Tara um, is an engagement pastor for the state, so she kind of has a little bit of a similar role to me. And she she says, what better instruction have you got in Scripture for the way that we are relate to relate to the community as a church, the way who we are meant to be in the community? We are the church meant to be the Proverbs 31 woman. And it guides us to the kinds of priorities that, that maybe we should have to open our arms to the poor, to extend our hand to the needy. I started this morning by telling you that my word for the year was going to be bored but that I needed to raise my standard. <laughs> At the time, I was like tired and uninspired, and um, I was just wanting to real, lay real low. But I, I feel like the Proverbs 31 woman inspires us to more. Um, it encourages us to more. It, it, it makes me want to, to be that I have, to, to do the everyday um, faithfully, and not just to sleep in and stuff like that. And it's not a prescription. I'm not going to go learn how to sew now because that was her priority. It's encouraging me to use my gifts and you to use your gifts. In 2020, I want to be a woman of valour. I want to be able to say, you go girl to myself and to try and be strong in the Lord that he's created me to be for the benefit of the church and my community. I want to get to the end of my days also and have um, God say to me, well done, good and faithful servant. Women in the room, I encourage you to keep stepping into the gifts and abilities and encourage each other. And no room for competition, only encouragement. 
say to each other, you go girl, Eshed Hayil, woman of valour. And men, I invite you to consider the ways that you have power, um, the ways that you are uh, bosses and mates and fathers and brothers, sons and uncles and grandfathers, and the role that you play in the lives of the women around you. Because often we need your encouragement. This, is, this was a poem that was sung to wives. Um, and, this, and in the same way, you can't the women in your lives. How do you encourage them? How do you use your power to give them a platform and give them a, give them a space, invite them into something that they're really good at doing. Um, because, uh, to be honest, women don't always have the same confidence that men have. Sometimes women step back and go, I'm not actually sure if I can do that where men step forward and go, yeah, I'll give that a go. And that's a generalisation, but it, tend, it seems to ring true um, in my experience in my work. So men, champion the women in your lives and use the platform that you have to raise them up, to use their gifts. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for this place and I thank you for the role that it plays in our community. I thank you for the school attached and I pray your blessing over it in 2020. We thank you for the many teachers working here, the men and the women. We pray that you'll give them courage and strength. Um, and I pray that you give them rest before they prepare for the year. I pray for every person here. I thank you for the gifts and the talents and the, that you've given them and the way that you've called them to live. I pray you lift their eyes to more than just um, aspiring to be boring. Um, but I pray that you them to want to be people of valour, to help them to see the way their gifts can um, encourage the community and how they can use their power and, and any privilege they have to, to help others, to raise others up. I particularly want to thank you for the way you protect us, but I want to think also of people in our community, especially women in our community, who are victims of family violence. Um, we live in, in a place where there, are, there is also some oppression of people, God, and I just particularly feel on my heart to pray for women who are victims of domestic abuse. We pray, God, that you will help us to be a safe place um, in our schools during the week and in our churches in the bond to be a beacon of hope and light for people who just need some help. Amen. <laughs>